Welcome to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies, especially movies that are propagating a conspiracy by one of the most acclaimed filmmakers in the world, and especially in the realm of anime. That's right. Finally, this is a podcast that has been a year and a half in the making, the conclusion to the Ghibli Conspiracy, or is it just the beginning? Is there more to uncover in these films in the future? That's what we're here to find out. Isn't that right, the Lord GTZ? That's right. And what film are we talking about? What film are we finally getting around to? The heinous, the treacherous, the scheming, Howl's Moving Castle! That's right. Yet another film directed by Hayao Miyazaki, a part of the Studio Ghibli canon and integral to understanding the Ghibli conspiracy. This is the end game, folks. This is the film where it all comes together, where the master plan of the mastermind madman Hayao Miyazaki is finally revealed. And to think we might have never got the chance to expose the truth to all you fine people. For 15 years, the truth seems to have remained hidden. It seems to have gone unnoticed by the public. But thanks to our journalistic endeavors through this podcast, we are finally going to expose the truth. And we couldn't have done it without the help of the good folks at G-Kids. So at least someone at G-Kids who recognized that there's something beneath the surface of these films and let me win two free tickets to see this movie! So we didn't even have to pay for it, folks! Thank you! Mari? Last name withheld? <laughs> it is thanks to their fine, brave efforts that we were able to see this film. But time is running short, folks. They're going to come after us. They're going to stop this podcast. We need to record this quickly. So this is going to be a shorter episode, but we're going to make it quick and to the point. V-Lord, we've both seen the film now twice in the past 18 months. But I think it was on this second viewing that we really understood this film and what it's trying to say a whole lot better. Wouldn't you agree? I think that we both enjoyed this film a lot better this time around. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd definitely agree with that. Because when you first watched it, what were your feelings about it, Vilor? I thought it was kind of messy, a bit rushed, not really well-focused. All around is kind of like okay, like it's really well animated, had great music, but the narrative didn't really catch me. Yes, but now how do you feel of it after seeing it again? I feel there's a lot more subtlety to it than I first gave it credit. A lot of the plot lines that I felt were very conveniently written, while still rushed in my opinion, work a lot better than I originally thought. So overall, I'm more positive on it. That's right. And what did you think of our theater experience this time around? What did you think of a crowd that was in our theater? It was pretty normal. I mean, lots of fangirl Ghibli people and a few other people. Mostly, like, I guess, seemed like people who were in their late teens, early 20s. I noticed a lot of families there, as are expected of Ghibli films, but you are right. This is a very beloved movie by women in particular. 
And for good reason, because Hal is fucking hot. Yeah, he's an attractive uh, Ghibli character. He's really likable. He's like super powerful dude, but he has the heart of a child. He's super endearing. You can trust him. And you are the only one who can feel his heart. Literally. That sounds like a freaking boy band song. <laughs> Perhaps. I feel that's more an observation of the appeal of boy bands. Or these kind of characters like Hal, who are like these kind of mysterious roguish tricksters with a heart of gold. Or in Hal's case, he is technically heartless, but he has a lot of fire in his heart or around his heart. Because Calcifer is his heart. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But it's very curious, V-Lord, on the subject of Hal, that he turns into a monster when he's engaged in acts of violence. Why do you think that is, V-Lord? Why do you think Hal becomes a monster only when he's engaging in war or vor-related activities? Did you say vor-related? I said war, W-A-R related activities. Okay. There's not a whole lot of vor, V-O-R-E in this film, as uh, I would not expect from a Ghibli film. Yeah, Even though Miyazaki gonna... is a twisted mind, it's not that twisted. I was going to say, if you're going with vor, I guess, <laughs> I guess him eating calcifer is technically vor. Now yeah. that is true. Maybe Miyazaki does uh, keep his fetishes on the down low, but uh, they're there. You can see him. Yeah, I mean, like... Sophie is very much his kind of gal. Like, she has an old soul, but she's really capable. And she's basically his perspective character to voice what he feels about war and the government and people these days and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, Sophie kind of... I mean, obviously she's based off the original source material, but, like... Miyazaki definitely re, I think, shifts it towards, like, his own perspective. That most certainly is true. This film is based on the book by Deanna Wynne-Jones, but Miyazaki truly makes it his own story to the point where it really bears no resemblance to the source material, which is intentional, because Miyazaki's endgame, his goal, is to make stories that are only told through the lens of his animated pictures. So like all other great stories out there, he wants to adapt through Studio Ghibli and make them so popular, no one will ever seek out any alternative version ever. And they will only watch Ghibli movies because he has set the standard so high for filmmaking, nothing else will compare. It's so funny though, because like, Miyazaki always shits on the idea of adapting things. Yet he adapted Howl's Moving Castle from a book. That is true. And this is not the first adaptation that Ghibli has done. Takahata adapted comics like Only Yesterday and My Neighbor's Niamata. So Ghibli has had a history of doing adaptations. Yeah, I mean his son adapted Tales of Earthsea, but we don't talk about that. Yes. Obviously, Miyazaki knew that he could not take on the burden by himself. He was growing old. That's why there's so many jokes about old people in this film. Miyazaki was 
kind of venting his frustrations like, man, I'm getting older. I can't do this all on my own anymore. I need help. I need young people to take on my vision. So I'm yeah. going to get my son to do the, what I did at Howl's Moving Castle with Kells of Earthsea. And that did not work out because Goro just was not into being a filmmaker. But that even with this film, he was not supposed to be the director originally. He was supposed to hand off the duties to uh, someone you might have heard of called Mamoru Hosoda. One of the candidates people have been calling the next Miyazaki, which is really dumb because he's just his own person. And we, really, sure don't, we really don't need another Miyazaki. I'm sorry. Uh, especially not another person who is going to spread a particular brand of propaganda to get kids on drugs like Miyazaki. Yeah, but like I guess going seriously, like the I concept of Miyazaki just like meeting someone like Miyazaki and keeping him in such high regard, I feel just is very bothersome because for one thing, we're just ignoring all the other great directors that are out there, and it kind of comes out of this concept that oh, Ghibli and Miyazaki are the only good anime films. Yeah. What are all these other talented directors who have even preceded Miyazaki? They don't matter. Yeah, seriously, why does there only have to be one great? Filmmaker uh, in the Miyazaki realm. Miyazaki has a ton of idealistic problems. His whole aversion to advancing animation beyond traditional, not being willing to accept the potential of good, well-done CG, and his whole backwards mentality of, if without me the studio's dead, it's, it's very problematic. I mean, it is his studio. He pretty much sabotage all attempts to spur new creative talent like Mamoru Hosoda. They originally selected him to direct the film, but he quit the project because they would not let him execute his own creative vision. Miyazaki wanted firm creative control and rejected his ideas. Which is so hypocritical of him. He, is so, he always says, oh, we should have creative freedom, and then when he brings in new talent, he doesn't give them creative freedom. And we all know why, because Miyazaki has a particular agenda, he has a particular vision that he wants every film that he makes to fall in line to. Isn't that right, Wee Lord? Yes, that's totally right. It is right. And I think that... Crispin Freeman, who narrated a intro at the beginning of this theatrical screening, which, by the way, celebrates the 15th anniversary of Howl's Moving Castle, in case we haven't mentioned that, and for 15 years, the true significance of this film has gone unnoticed. But anyway, Crispin Freeman, I believe it was Crispin Freeman, I came in late, I forget, uh, it was introduced, I came in just slightly late enough that I missed the part where he was introduced, but he was basically saying, yeah, this movie is about uh, war and how war is bad, okay? It's basically Miyazaki saying, war sucks, both of these sides are engaged in this war, we don't know why they're fighting, and that's the point, it's because, you know, war like, is I stupid. feel like that's only part of the message. I feel the anti-war message is more of a thing of a... Uh... Castle in the Sky? Yeah, Castle in the Sky. Uh, this movie is pretty heavily anti-war. It is, is also It's also very anti-war, but I feel that's Which is not only, a book, small, only a small part of the larger message. What is the larger message, in your opinion, then? It's hard for me to describe that, but, uh... I mean, there's several aspects about this film, but, like, the idea that the war is wrong, it is being fought for stupid reasons because of the agenda of people in power 
who care not for the lives lost and innocent people getting murdered and all that stuff. Like, the castle of the king has a protection spell, but because the bombs don't fall on it, they fall on the houses of innocent civilians and burn them all up and lots of people die and lose their homes. We see the battlefield that Hal goes to when he turns the dial on the door black, and it is just a ravaged, red, fiery land with no utter discernible features because everything has been burned to the ground. Everything is dead and on fire and covered in black smoke. It's just all destroyed. And there's so much uh, emphasis on the beauty of the world in this film. Sophie looks at the ocean and said, wow, the ocean is so beautiful. And Marco's like, huh, well, it's just normal. You know, uh, I see this every day. But you know, through Sophie's eyes, we're saying, wow, this world really gets beautiful. These beautiful field of flowers, this beautiful ocean, beautiful sky. You know, take some time to slow down, appreciate the world around you and how beautiful it is, and then think about what war is doing to this world of ours, how it's destroying it, setting the flames, all for petty reasons of greed that is corrupting and destroying us. And does it matter in the end when we're old and withered? This is the whole point of the Wicked Witch of the Waste. She is a vain person at the start. She has kept herself artificially young with her magic, but for all her greed, and it's mentioned specifically that she lo uh, lost her way because she was consumed by a demon of greed, which may be literal, may be a metaphor, I'm mean, not a metaphor, but basically, you know, she her downfall, like her lack of happiness and what turned her into kind of a slovenly slob who can't even get up a couple of stairs is greed. And that has just corrupted her and made her live kind of a lonely, miserable life until finally that demon inside her is expunged and she is taken in by the kindness of Sophie and she finds a family and becomes happier as a result. And only when she indulges in her greedy habits again, smoking that cigar that was sent by Madame Sullivan or when she steals Calcifer after she realizes that it's Hal's heart, that things go awry and everything is put in jeopardy and things go bad. But when she is selfless, when she gives the heart back to Sophie so she can put it on Hal, when she does nice things for others, that's the moments where she can truly find happiness. This movie has this very clear message that you should live selflessly. You should live to make the lives of the people around you happier, but you should also take ownership of your own life. At yeah. the beginning of the movie... I mean, I feel, I feel that part is a bigger thing than the actual war, though. The war, the war message is there, but that's a message that's in a lot of Miyazaki's films. I mean, the it's war message something... is simple. War is dumb. Okay, it is yeah, bad. That, that's, a, that's a message that is across many Miyazaki films. Yes, but... Not just Hal. That's not what ha makes Hal unique. The backdrop of this film is literally two kingdoms are fighting in this war and that's the causing the conflict. That's the reason why things are happening. You see from the beginning of the movie that there are military planes flying around the city and it's just a daily life for these people because they've gotten desensitized to the city's affairs. It is a prophetic vision of the world we're living in now. With our drones but, okay, flying okay. all over us. Okay, like like I'm saying though, like these this message is a message that's literally means like his phone. So I feel like yeah, it's there, but it's not what makes Howl's Moving Castle unique. Then what does make it unique? What makes it unique is the message of greed and self-identity. It's about understanding yourself, learning how to be a good person, learning how to live a good life despite hardships and 
living in a bad situation like the war. But the war itself is not the core focus. Well, more on the point. Remember, at the beginning of the film, Sophie's sister tells her, you know, you don't need to work in father's hat shop. You don't need to work there if that doesn't make you happy. Think for yourself. Uh, live your own life. You only got one. You should enjoy your life. And that's something that Sophie has to learn, like, what really makes her happy? And, you know, she is selfless and that helps the people around her, but she ultimately comes to realize that she shouldn't follow the script that other people has assigned to her. She doesn't have to fit into a role that is predetermined for her. She can be her own person. She can make her own path in the world and find happiness in doing that. Like, she doesn't have to be pigeonholed by what society or her family dictates of her. And that's true of the other characters in the film, too. We have this preconception that the wicked witch of the waste is this evil witch who is irredeemable. But we learn more about her and we realize, you know, she's just a lonely old woman who has led greed, lead her awry in life, but she is capable of redemption. Madame Solomon's dog. He's a spy, presumably, but he makes his own choices. He decides to help Sophie instead of hinder her. He becomes his own person. The prince, who was turned into Turnip Head, he makes his own choices to be selfless and help Sophie. And that ultimately is rewarded by her helping undo his spell. There are so many examples of that in the film. Of, like, people who have been consigned, constrained to a particular role that is expected of them. I mean, this is the whole conflict Hal has, is that as a mage, a wizard of the kingdom, he's expected to be summoned by the king. He the summons and fight for the war cause, like all the other wizards, who, in doing so, basically sell their sense of self-identity, sell their sense of selves and become monsters, to fight the war, and it's mentioned by Calcifer that they'll never become human again for after doing that. And that's the conflict. Hal knows that'll happen, so he does not go take the summons, he does not fight in the war, he doesn't want to lose his sense of self, he doesn't want to lose his independence. That is emphasized, the independence, that you are free from the shackles of society's expectations of you and what they're trying to dictate you to do. And this fits in, of course, to Miyazaki's very anti-government control message that we have discussed in previous films as well. Yeah. Which, of course, leads us to how this fits in in terms of the conspiracy, in terms of Miyazaki, of course, peddling the drugs to the children to make them high and watch his movies. And here's the end game. Here's the reason why he's doing all this. This movie, House of Moon Castle, tells us... We, we learned the process from the other movies, but now we know the reason why. And as I was watching the film, I was blown away. I was surprised. Because the reason Miyazaki has engineered this conspiracy through his movies, the true secret, the true message of his movies, why he's doing all this, is so that the children who watch his films, they grow up to become people who are good, who are selfless, who choose not to engage in war and acts of wanton greed because they are high and they just would rather watch his movies and look at the at the beautiful scenery of the world and you know just enjoy that instead of 
get worked up and angry and fight in stupid wars. You know, they should they should just peacefully live their lives, helping one each other. Just smoke some weed in, a, in the corner. Yeah, yeah, living in a global community, you know, with their family who can be anyone. Any person can be your family if you're united by your love of Miyazaki movies. Just like the makeshift family in House Moving Castle is an assortive collection of people. You can make your own makeshift family of fellow uh, Ghibli fanatics who have been indoctrinated by Miyazaki. Oh my God. And, you know, you can just... Enjoy life by helping other people, being a good person, smoking some weed, watching some movies, and enjoying the beautiful world around you. You don't need to pollute or cause bloodshed or hurt the environment. You know, you can you can easily jive and live well with nature and your fellow man. You know, it's a his goal is pure V Lord. He just wants to stop war. He just wants all the children to live a happier life. He wants the future generations to live in a better world than the world that he was born in. Miyazaki hates war, we lord! He hates it so much! That's why all his movies are like, war is bad! Violence is bad! Be a good person and kind to your fellow man and you will live your best life! Praise Totoro! Uh, going on with the anti-war message, the more I think about like, when you go to, like, The Wind Rises and stuff, it feels like he's got way more subtle with being anti-war. Like, thinking of it from a outside perspective rather than as a victim or a perpetrator of it. While in a lot of his, like, older films, you definitely see it's a lot more blatant here. Like, it's clear that he thinks war is bad. I think that all of his films that have an anti-war message are from a civilian perspective. They, they definitely are, and... And that that makes sense, of course, because, yeah, if you're a victim of war, you're going to hate war. And, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, he really shows that war really is awful for the normal person who, you know, they have no stake in it. They just want to there, live there's, their there's lives. No, there's no gain for them. Yeah, know? the only people who have anything to gain are the people who are in positions of power, like the king who is able to live just so casually in comfort, completely oblivious to the pain of and lives that are being lost all around him. You know, he's so chipper, he's so excitable. And Madame Solomon, she just can sit in her chair and sip her tea and, you know, just enjoy her opulence and excess, completely blind and oblivious and, and unsympathetic. War, when you to... think about it, the war started for a reason that neither the king or the queen really seemed to care about. Like, their their son's quote-unquote dead. It's all thing. a pretense. Yeah, they're just like, oh, our son's dead. Let's just go kill this uh, innocent... Well, it's not even that they yeah. think he's dead. He's just missing, but they use that as an excuse to say, oh, the other kingdom kidnapped the prince. We gotta go to war with them. Like, it's an excuse. They just want to use that as an excuse to invade the other kingdom, destroy the people. You know, their goal isn't even important. They just use any excuse to perpetuate this war for their own ends. And their what their ends are doesn't matter. It's what matters is that by engineering this war, they have cost the lives of innocent people who have nothing to gain from it, ultimately. Yeah, like, I remember at the end of the film, the queen's like, I guess the game is over. Just like, yeah, that she, Madame Solomon, that monster, she treats it like a game. And that's Miyazaki, like, very firmly saying, yeah, these people think of this as a game. You remember the, when the king walks in 
earlier in the film, and he's going up to Matt Solomon and saying, I have a great new war plan. I'm so excited about it. I'm going to get all my journals together. It's going to be a great time. Yeehaw. You know, it is just a game to them. They're, they are detached from it. It's like, it is basically like a game of chess for them. It's like, oh, I'm getting so excited. Uh, here's my new strategy. Yeah, yeah. It's like a game of Pokemon, really. They're training up their soldiers, leveling up, and saying, Oh, I got this cool new Venusaur, man. I can mega evolve the Mega Venusaur. Oh, yeah, well, now I got a Charizard X, man. It's going to destroy your Mega Venusaur. Oh, yeah, well, now I got Charizard Y, man. But Charizard Y isn't as good as Charizard X. I don't care, man. We're going to fight. It's going to be cool. Fire everywhere. What? Uh, the world is burning. Everyone is dying. I don't care. Charizard X is Charizard, why are we going to fight? One of us is going to win, and when one of us wins, I'm going to take your money as a prize, and I will be the world champ. We're so, the best military in the world! This sounds, yeah! like very, this sounds like a very strange Pokemon battle. <laughs> but it's reality. Miyazaki's films are hyper real. It's scary. The fucking planes flying around the city. That's happening in real life, man. That's happening in cities in real life. And it might be happening right now when you just don't know it. Like, Miyazaki's trying to warn us. It's like, you know, just take this drugs and just, just <laughs> stop God. fighting this war. And everything will be cool, man. This is what will happen if you don't do drugs, kids. There'll be planes flying over you. You're going to be constricted in the war. They mentioned in this film that everyone is going to the war, so the town is going to be empty. You're all going to die in this war. Just don't go. Don't listen to them. The government is not have your best interests at heart. The military-industrial complex is using and abusing you. F capitalism. F all that man just do drugs and everything will be better they'll all go away it won't become a monster like Howl you'll get your heart back you'll be able to live with everyone in the world as a family your former enemies people you think should be you were your enemies they're not really your enemies man you can all be united by love man that's the real good shit man not this war crap man that's Miyazaki's goal that's what he was trying to tell us through his movies from the beginning that was what everything was leading up to he was hoping that the people who watched his movies would figure that out would realize that internalize that and he would be able to put an end to war for good and that's why The Wind Rises was supposed to be his last film because that was supposed to be the ultimate culmination of anti-war message the story of Jiro which was going to say hey here is this guy he was an artist someone who truly just loved to make planes and just wanted to make cool planes that flew but they were used for war and lives were lost and even the people he was working for were betraying him and the system was not in place to help his ailing wife and he was kept working and so blinded by his work that he could not spend as much time with her in her final days and it's such a tragedy at the end of the film he's looking out at all the crash planes he's like what have i spent my life doing i had this pure artistic vision and it was corrupted and such horrible consequences have 
resulted. This is not the way we need, should live our lives. This is not the way art should be used. Art should not be used to promote war, my lord. That's what Miyazaki ultimately was most disgusted by, is disgusted by the idea that so many films glorify violence and war and hurting other people. And Miyazaki was is always trying to show in his films, whenever he depicts war, the consequences of war, how war hurts people. In Halloween Castle, we see that the homes of innocent people are burning. We see that people are dying in these planes. They're losing their souls. They're becoming monsters by being constricted into this war. But they have a choice. Like how they can rebel, they can keep their sense of self, and they can retain their humanity. He wanted to promote messages like that in contrast to films that promote, yeah, we're we're gonna kill a bunch of people because killing people is good. By the way, join the military. And that's why Halloween Castle, you know, is like the ultimate, most blatant statement. It's like, no, art should not be used to promote war and the agenda of the government and military industrial complex. Art should be used to entertain and make people think about how to live their best lives and make them feel good and inspire them to open their heart to others and become better more emotionally well-rounded, kinder people with empathy. And that was supposed to be a swan song. It was supposed to be the ultimate culmination of everything. You know, House of Wind Castle, you know, that expressed it a lot, but then that just continued on to Wind Rises. But he was supposed to retire after Wind Rises, after making his grand artistic statement. He was supposed to retire, but he has to come back from retirement. Why does he have to come back from retirement, we lord? To sell more drugs? What are the most popular movies in the world right now, we lord? I don't know. The freaking Marvel Cinematic Universe. And who makes the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we lord? Disney? Yes, and who is Disney partner with to make these films, we lord? How do, are they able to depict, like, so many military scenes? Militia groups. Yeah, the freaking U.S. military. Captain Marvel. Pretty much an advertisement for the Air Force. There are literally co Air Force commercials that make very tinly whale references to Captain Marvel. They don't sound right explicit that it's a tie-in, but it's so obvious. It's so obvious that Disney is in cahoots with the U.S. military and is a part of this military industrial complex to promote and glorify war in the U.S. military and joining it as an honorable thing. And not just restricted to that. These films, by being spread worldwide, are promoting this idea that, yeah, fighting is cool. War violence is good. Avengers? What does the Avengers remind you of? Set in New York City with buildings collapsing all over. What is that? Yes. What is that supposed to inspire people? It's supposed to inspire things of patriotism. It's supposed to inspire, oh my god, this is the horrors that we need to fight against. We gotta join the military, because the military is supposed to think we got to shield, and we can be Avengers too. We can protect our home. But you know the dirty secret. The secret is that these people making these movies at the higher up, the executive level, and then cahoots to the government are happy that acts of terrorism have happened across the world because they can make films like this that tap into cultural trauma that makes people vulnerable and susceptible to this kind of propaganda that is hidden so subliminal that you don't notice it, but it's so, so obvious when you actually think about it and peel back the layers and look at how, how the films are depicting military service and war and violence and what is really going on here, what the, their core messages are, and how 
Miyazaki's films, Studio Ghibli films, are so antithetical to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind and of just, like, summed it all up. Basically, I mean, look, we know that Disney partnered with Northrop Gunshrop, like, shortly before the release of Tour Ragnarok, and we have this whole Tour and Ragnarok podcast where we went and was like, huh, <laughs> it's kind of skeevy how this guy is supposed to be depicted as a hero, and he has these machine guns and stuff. That seems a little off for a kid's film, especially coming only a month after they were supposed to debut a comic in partnership with Nortrop Guntrop that uh ha- was going to promote their weapons and be like the Nortrop Guntrop team or something like that. Some some comic tie-in for kids to promote manufacture of military-grade weapons. That, that sounds a little suspicious on Disney's part, you know. And Miyazaki... Miyazaki clearly realized, oh my god, these Marvel Cinematic Universe films, they're just going to perpetuate war. The kids who are watching this are going to grow up as lovers of violence, as perpetuators of violence. I need to come back and make films to calm their hearts, prevent them from turning into the monsters that can be manipulated by the people in power who are just using and abusing them. That is pisses it off. Yeah. Miyazaki's come <laughs> back to protect the children, and that's why... And to fight off the CG. Yes, and that that is the heart of the Ghibli conspiracy. Miyazaki is peddling, has been peddling these drugs to children for 30 years, you know, to save them. Maybe the drugs are supposed to make you hate war and CG. So that the entire so. world... I mean, again, Miyazaki is, Miyazaki's goals, while noble, are very self-centered because he's, he's under the impression that only his films are pure and kino enough for children to watch. Like, all the other films will reject them because only his films will be so good enough that no one will ever want to watch any of the other films and be exposed to ideas that he doesn't agree with in terms of uh, war and yeah, other stuff. Like he, he does a very good job of creating family-friendly films, but he's very narrow-minded in how he approaches the industry. Right. And again, uh, the selling drugs is, uh, you know, I understand your goal, Miyazaki. I understand your noble intentions, but uh, that's still, that's still kind of bad. You shouldn't give it to kids. Maybe wait till they're older. Then it'll be okay. I'm drugs sure. are bam, okay? You know, maybe they're good in moderation, but for kids, no, no. Which is a shame, because uh, more kids should watch Miyazaki movies, honestly. After I realized his message and what he's trying to do, you know, I think it's a, it's a necessary sacrifice uh, to prevent war. <laughs> I am more on Miyazaki's side than I am on uh, the side of anyone else who glorifies so Miyazaki's not going to kill us now? I thought we were being tracked down by Miyazaki, but actually, uh, it's, it's Disney's goons. They're like these blobby, amorphous, oily creatures like the Wicked Waste minions. But they're after us. Uh, actually, it's, you know, they're very... Uh, like Madame Sullivan's minions in that they have sold their souls to a corporate power and now they are mindless slaves of them that have no individual identity. It's very sad. But we will evade them, we will escape them, and we will continue to spread the good word of the Ghibli conspiracy. Because even though that we have gotten to the heart, we have figured out Miyazaki's endgame, we have only covered seven... Of Miyazaki's films, and he has made so much more, and there are so many more Studio Ghibli films to discuss. And G-Kids is still showing these in theaters, so we will return to cover more films that we haven't covered yet on this podcast when they are shown in theaters. Whisper to Heart is in July. You haven't seen it, I don't think. I mean, I'm not going to be here in July. 
But we'll meet up like in that same week and then we'll podcast about it. And guess. Yeah. But we will continue to spread the good world while still critiquing Miyazaki for some of the ideas he has that are maybe a little misguided. But, you know, we know your heart's in the right place, old man. Just like how he's trying to say, by having Sophie grow old and get a new perspective on life. You know, when you get older, you get a new perspective and you realize, hey, a lot of this shit is bullshit. Yep. We need the good shit, not the bullshit. And the good shit's drugs? Damn straight, bro. <laughs> Why do you think we've been talking about these last couple of years? I mean, couple weeks for you, fine people. This has been a project in the works for a long time, but finally we've gotten to the heart of it. But now we really got to go because I, uh, I'm looking out the window here. And yeah, the, those cronies of a... They might be from Disney. They might be from someone else. I don't know. But they're they're gunning out of my door. They're they're looking to break in, like how they were trying to break into Howell's castle in the film. So yeah, we gotta we gotta vanish out of here. We gotta turn the knob, uh, get out of the house, uh, collapse the house, rebuild it up again, so they can't find us. They're bringing so, in Thanos. Oh my God! Uh, I mean, they don't even need to do that. They can just snap and have us gone. Yeah, true. Yeah, but. Yeah, so Velor, we gotta get out of here. So tell the good people where they can find you. They can find me on Twitter at VelorGTZ, where I'm usually talking about whatever the heck I'm up to. Sometimes buying monks, sometimes reading the manga, sometimes doing other things. And you can also find my manga reviews on old-comic.com. I currently review Demon Slayer Kometsu no Yaiba, Act Age, and Hinomaru Sumo. So if you want to check out any of those, go do so. And you can find me at Lumromayasha on Twitter. And wherever there is a Lumromayasha, that's where you can find me. Like Animation Revelation <laughs> and any list. I also write reviews for all-comic.com. Manga reviews and movie reviews. So you can check out those there. As for the show, you can find Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. On Tumblr, Manga Mavericks at Tumblr.com. On iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. And basically any podcast service of choice. We're on there on the name Manga Mavericks. We're also on YouTube at YouTube slash C slash Manga Mavericks. And on all of those places, we'd really appreciate it if you uh, listen to our content on there. Write us reviews. Leave us some ratings. That really helps us out. That helps the show grow. You can also join our Discord server if you want to chat with us some more. Or you can send feedback, your thoughts on the Ghibli Conspiracy and other stuff to Manga Mavericks at Gmail mail.com and if you want to help support the show financially you can donate to my Kofi Kofi slash Lamayasha you can help me buy movie tickets and help keep fighting the good fight and I think that does it for now this has been another episode of Manga Mavericks at Movies and we will see you in the next one sayonara see ya and cut <laughs>